did say it, I'm going to need all the help I can. I can't even turn the microphone on. Isn't that pitiful? It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Thank you for, for that uplifting uh, message, Brother Krause, that you gave me. It's always uh, nice to know you got my back. And, uh, and uh, now I've got to find the page. Boy, I'll tell you what. Brother Fox, he, he's the one turning 60. You'd think I'd be the one. Seemed like I feel like I'm turning 60 this morning. Yeah, 60 years old. Wow. Which, see, you will. You, 60 is a big day. You'll, it'll be a four-week celebration. It would, it'd be like the Olympics. <laughs> It'll be like the Olympics, the the marathon. (laughs) Praise the Lord, everyone. If you have your Bibles this morning, like you... Oh, I ain't going there. He will. I know. One thing about Brother Fox, he never forgets. Never forgets. Except for that money he owes me. <laughs> Acts 13, 1 through 13. It is a lengthy, re- lengthy reading this morning. I told Pastor, I said, the last three times that the manual here spoke on failure, I got all three. That's no joke. I got the notes at home to prove it. I thought, man, I'll just take my last notes, and I'll use them. And, but I figured y'all would remember, at least Brother Fox would, because he never forgets. So it, I don't know why I, I, um, I'm getting these. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe I'm one of the best examples of, of it. But coming through it, I will say that, coming through it. Now there were in the church that was in Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius and Cyrene. I'm probably not pronouncing some of these names right, but uh, please forgive me. It's Sunday morning. And Manan, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Now I want you to notice something. It said, it talked about Barnabas and Simeon on one side, but then it said that they had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, which was a, a tyrant. And then right behind the tyrant's name, he mentioned Saul. And so here in a little bit, I'm gonna, I, I want to show you. It appears to me in the Scripture that Herod and the Tetrarch and Saul were on the same side. One was just as bad as the other. And in this text, it's going to be Saul that he's going to be pointing his finger at John Mark later on. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy, and the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away and they brought... or be, uh, and they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. 
And when they were in, see these words keep coming up. Say that again. Okay, what's this one? Salami. Salamis. They preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. And when they had gone through the Isle of Patmos. See, I tell you what, I'm having a hard time this morning. They found a certain sorcerer, a prophet, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country. Brother, Brother Robertson, I want you to read the rest of this for me. I want you to read this from 7 to 13 until I get my bearings together. One more. All right, thank you for giving me a break there. Proverbs 24 and 16 says, For a just man falleth seven times, and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. I want to talk this morning for a while about the restoration of John Mark. And uh, like I said, uh, failure is something that I have had to deal with in my life. I'm sure most here have had to deal with it. And if you say you haven't, you're probably lying. So that's a failure in itself. You may be seated. What may be a, a failure in our eyes? may not be a failure altogether. For instance, I, uh, I remember before I came here, before I moved about 16 years ago to Indiana, I had set out to accomplish. I had signed up to go to Jackson uh, College, uh, to, to the Bible College, and I was going to play music at that Bible college, and I was all signed up for it, and uh, I had was getting the money together to go, and that that was my endeavors. I that was a goal of mine. I said I, I felt that it was the will of God for me to do that. I, I felt it strongly. I was a kid, and obviously, I didn't end up there. I had a car accident, and I had ended up paying some money out and I didn't have the rest of the money to go. But I, I felt that that was a goal of mine. I felt that that was something that I was supposed to do. But God had other plans for my life. And here I am today. I got married to a wonderful 
gal and had three beautiful babies. But I felt at the time that I didn't make it. I didn't end up going to Jackson. I felt that it was a failure. And I perceived it that way. So we got to be really, really careful. What may look like failures in our lives, most of the time, God has another path He wants us to take. And we can, if we're not careful, we can live our life thinking that we're failures. And in all reality, it's God's way of helping us stumble to go into the path that He has made for us. And if I... If it's truth to be known uh, that at that time in my life I, I got really depressed because I didn't fulfill the, the goal that I had for my life. And if we're not careful, we would allow things that appear to be failures dictate our life and it can get us down and our next decision may just be the wrong decision. And eventually we end up making a big hole for ourselves. That's where we have problems. Failure, it's, it's a painful ordeal, yet every one of us experience it at one point. The only people who never fail are those who never try. Someone suggested if you never fail at anything, perhaps you need to try harder. And failure, it can be a setback, but it doesn't have to be a total loss. Thomas Edison, uh, he was a great inventor. He, after 10,000 unsuccessful attempts, attempts to develop the electric light bulb, which is a great blessing. We take it for granted when we walk into a room and flip on a switch and the lights come on. He had 10,000 unsuccessful attempts to develop the light bulb. But he said, I have not failed. He said, I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. Failure, it can be a, a powerful, convincing teacher. We call it learning lessons the hard way. We do not quickly learn, uh, forget failure. And when we fail, failure, we, we often remember the most. I can guarantee it. I can line you up and ask you the question, uh, what what you remember the most, and most of the time you'll remember the failures over your victories. That that's the human nature of of man to constantly remember failure. Or could it be that the enemy knows what will get you down, so he don't remind you of your victories. He constantly reminds you of past failures. We must learn to overcome failure for. Example, the great uh, baseball player Babe Ruth struck out 1,360 times during his career. Basketball, Michael jo basketball star Michael Jordan said, he said, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've, almost three, and I've uh, lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been thrusted to take the game-winning shot. And he said, I missed. He said, I failed over and over and over in my life, and that is why I succeed. Failure is our greatest teacher. The devil would like to use our failure 
to try to keep us from going forward. But I believe, I, you know, the, I read somewhere where, uh, that when you fall, if you're, if you're going forward, if you fall when you're walking, you at least fall ten more feet. You at least fall ten feet. They, 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 the mathematics say approximately you fall ten feet forward. But the secret to failure or success and failure is if you're heading in the right direction in the first place. See, the problem with a lot of people is the reason they don't succeed in life, whether it's ministry, marriage, or church, whatever it is, is that they're going the wrong direction. But if we would set our mind and our eyes and our visions in the right direction, when we fall, at least we fall in the right direction. The essence of John Maxwell's message in the book, Failing Forward, Turning Mistakes into Stepping Stones for Success, is this. When we fall, we must get up again and learn from the experience. Someone said, you won't drown by falling into water. You drown by staying there. One man said, I think it was Thomas Watson, founder of IBM, said... Would you like me to give you a formula for success? It's quite simple. He said, double your rate of failure. Abraham Lincoln, is he's uh, known, his his face, his, his name is known probably more than any other name in American history. He, at age 22, he failed at business. At age 23, he was defeated for state legislator. Age 24, he failed in business a second time. 26 years old, his sweetheart died. 27 years old, he suffered a nervous breakdown. 29, defeated uh, for Speaker of the House. Defeated at 31 for elector. At 34, he was defeated for Congress. 39, defeated for Congress. 46, defeated for the Senate. 47, defeated for Vice President. 49, defeated for the Senate. And at age 51, you would have thought by now that he would have just laid down and cried in a corner somewhere and forgot about everything, you know, whatever. But at 51 years old, he was elected to be the President of the United States. Perseverance is the key to everything. You know, the problem, the problem in our day and age, we have birthed or created a lot of lazy people that don't want to work. And they got that mentality that they don't want to work. They take the easy way out. They say, well, I failed yesterday. Why try today? I I know that I'm going to be a failure. Did you know that most millionaires failed at least seven times before they made their first million? My goodness, where would I be if I let my failures dictate my future? I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to tell too much, but my goodness, if you've seen my life, I grew up in a pastor's home. But some of the things that I had to go through to get to where I'm at, I talked to you about some of those things. Some of them are, are just incredible. 
mind, uh, prisons of mind that I've had to grow up and deal with. Things I've had to overcome. If, if I would have let those things stop me, Brother Davis, there's no way I'd be standing behind this pulpit. But I had to make up my mind that, that I had to learn from my failures or learn from my shortcomings instead of letting my failures tear me down. Hmm. Failure, failure is, is an inevitable part of the human experience. Adam and Eve failed, and they passed their uh, and, and passed their flawed nature on to all of us. So someone can blame it on Adam and Eve, but the fact is that one of y'all would have messed up eventually. How many of y'all ever blame Adam and Eve for the world's failures? Then for long you had to look in the mirror and remind yourself that we still like to blame somebody else's. But as fallen people, perfection is something to dream about and strive for, but achieving it in this life is elusive at best. There's only one that has ever been perfect in this world. And we know that that one is Jesus Christ, and He happens to be the only answer out to our failures. We sometimes refer to the outstanding Bible characters as heroes like Paul and Peter and Samuel and and all these guys we like to talk about and, and Samson, but there's only one true hero, which was Jesus Christ. He it was the perfect hero. It, was, it seems we live in a conundrum. We look at Jesus, a, a role of a model of perfection, but as a, an imperfect people who never can seem to attain uh, His perfection. But looking at Him, and I know we're supposed to strive to be perfect, and we'll never get that way. We'll never get that way. But seeing His life should only drive us to be better. There's people that make excuses, well, we're supposed to be Christ-like, and we know Jesus was perfect, so there's no sense in me even really trying anymore. I've seen it. All that is is an excuse and a setup for your next failure. Well, I know that he, he, he was perfect, and the Bible says that we're supposed to be like him, and I, I just don't think that I can match up to him, so I'll go ahead and hold on to this addiction for a little while longer. I'll just go ahead and, and make excuses for myself and for my family. There's no excuse. We should constantly be pushing towards being like Jesus. And attitudes behind our failures can make all the difference in the world. We can learn from them, or we can let our failures beat us up. Well, I don't want to do that anymore. The problem with people is they're hard-headed. Other people. Not, not me. It's other people. Isn't that right, Brother Dave? Just other people. Perfectly right. And, but here, let, me t- let me tell you, we can't allow, we can't allow understanding that we're humans. We understand we're humans and we're imperfect. We can't let that give us a right become fail- to become failures. I like what Brother Jeff Arnold said. You're not just a failure because you fail. You, you become a failure when you accept failure as final. It wasn't mine. 
I wish I was that smart. <laughs> but we should not let our failures or uh, our forefathers' failures to give us excuses to be failures. I've seen it. I've, I've seen you get up, Pastor, and say, well, uh, you were not perfect, and I've seen people's face light up. Well, it makes me feel better about myself. It makes me feel better about tomorrow when I don't throw away those cigarettes. Or we, should, we should let our failures catapult us, and we should learn from the things that we've come short of. We should learn from it. Paul, he even said it. He said, he said, we need to forget our past. But then he, he, he turned right around and he said, I'm the chiefest of all sinners. He had balance. He, he didn't let his failures keep him back. And he didn't make any excuses for what he was. But he was at least humble to say, listen, I know where I stand. I know I'm not perfect. I'm just going to strive to get there. I'm going to do my best. I'm not going to make any excuses. You know what the key to apostolic revival is? Is for us not to make any excuses for yesterday. And not to anticipate failure for tomorrow. Obviously, failures, some failures can be devastating. Accidents can cause injuries that change our lives in radical ways. Moral failures can stigmatize and damage our reputations permanently. Bad business decisions can ruin our financial situations. Failed exams can disqualify us from permanently being accepted into certain educational programs and occupational fields. Careless words that are spoken inappropriately can cause hurt feelings and trauma of which can linger for years. Forgotten important appointments can cause years of regret. Some missed opportunities can come once and will never be able uh, available again. Normally, we suffer from losses that when, when, when we fail, we suffer from loss. That, that I'm not going to tell you we don't. Yet failure is rarely a total loss. See, we get the mentality that because we failed, all is lost. And it's not the case. When we fail, we must learn from that failure, take inventory of our loss, accept reality. And not only reality, but accept responsibility of failure. You know, my, my problem is not with people that make mistakes. It's not my problem. Because Lord knows that I've made my share of them in the past. But my problem is people who make mistakes pass the blame on everybody else. Well, you don't understand the situation. I, I know that I did this wrong, but just to be honest with you, it's not really my fault. That is the biggest trick it's, that's, not, that's not the devil. That's human nature. Somebody that does that needs to get down on their face before God and cry out to Him and take, learn to take the blame for your failures. I'm wrong. Hey, I'll admit it. It's the hardest thing for a man to say I'm wrong. Three women say amen. 
Come on, ladies, you can do better than that. It's a problem for a man. Brother Jerry, we are praying for you, brother. But the responsibility of, of men and women that fail should not be passed along to somebody else. And God, God hates it too. He, he hates it. That's why it's the basis of our salvation is when you humble yourself and you walk up to an altar, kneel wherever you're at, and you say, God, I'm a sinner, I'm a failure, God help me. God cannot save somebody that does not first take the responsibility of failures on themselves first. That's the basis of all salvation. It does not change. I don't care if you've been in church for 20, 40, or 50 years. That is still the basis and the root of our salvation is when you can stand up and say, hey, I, I, I've, I've just failed. I, I failed miserably. I need help. Pride is, it's gotten the way and people have, that's why people leave churches and, or church hop. Number one reason people church hop and leave churches is because they cannot deal with their failure. They blame the ministry. I'll let you have it. And I can't believe that Brother Charles Davis did that and said that. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to that church down the road because it's so much better. And I know that that uh, that they, there's no failure there. There's no problems there. The fact is that they'll never get any better because once you leave, failure follows behind you. And it's a weight. So instead of, instead of throwing pride aside and going to an altar and repenting and going to the pastor and saying, you know what, pastor, I was wrong. Um, that's just for future references if any of y'all decide to pass the blame on somebody else. Man, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get whooped when I walked out, walk out of here today. A failure. Some of the greatest individuals in the Bible we, we look at, the, the failure that they, that they had is it's just overwhelming. David. We talk about David. We lo I love David, his sister Deem, I thank you. David's your favorite, favorite uh, character in the Bible. We call him characters, favorite guy in the Bible. And David, he, he had the ability to uh, he kill a lion with his bare hands. Can you all do that? Brother Sebastian, you said you could do it. No problem. Bearing a lion. I'm going to tell you right now, I'd be climbing some trees. Bears can climb and cats. I would be dead. I'd be like Barney Fife. Uh, 
<laughs> I did. Let me bring it back. We're going to start all over. Where's my text? He kills a bear and a lion. Takes some guts. He, he kills a bear and a lion. Four sheep that was not his. It wasn't his responsibility. Really. I mean, it, he worked there and wasn't his sheep. I, I believe that's why God chose him to be the king over Israel because if God saw that David had, would risk his life for some measly sheep that wasn't his, how much would David fight for a people that wasn't really his either? So God looked at him and said, that's a responsible man. He, he was an incredible, incredible individual. I mean, it's, when he, when he penned, self-penned the, the uh, scripture and it said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I mean, he was an incredible man. Had the ability to stand up and walk into a battlefield where only men, fierce, bloody, tough, great men would go. And he's standing on a battlefield. He, he fights Goliath and he uses the name of the Lord and he cuts the head off the giant. He, he was the light of Israel. He's the king eventually. The responsibility of a king. He's the most powerful man in the world. Sees a gal and lust after seeks her out commits adultery tries to cover it up he's born his son with a baby sick dying because of his sin the responsibility he's he's just can you imagine the the pain that he felt that he he was he was a king he was the light of Israel. He, he was the one in charge. He's the, if anybody should have known better, David should have known better. And he keeps walking by a crib. Failure. His failure keeps crying and he's trying to comfort it. He's trying to hold this, trying to keep it from crying. The baby's sick. And the Bible says that he went to his knees and he fasted all night long and he wept over that failure. So he, he, he's, he's distraught. He's the one responsible. The Bible says that when that baby died, he perceived the baby had died because he seen the servant's face. He seen the distraught on the servant's face. Servants didn't want to mess with him because they were scared of him. He was a king and they didn't want to tell him I mean, this is a guy that, that killed Goliath. This is a guy that killed the bear and the lion. And nobody wanted to tell him, hey, your son died. Because he, he could lose his cool and he could rip their heads off. The Bible says that he got up after he perceived his baby died. You know what the Bible says he did? He washed his face. He wiped away his tears. First of all, the first thing that David knew that he had to do after he had failed is that he got up. That's the first thing. He could have, listen, he could have stayed down there in shame 
I mean, getting up had to be the hardest part because getting up revealed His face. And we know that the first thing we want to do is when we fail is hide our face. We don't want anybody seeing us. What about when you fail in secret? It's still hard to show your face because of guilt. And the, the fact is, everybody knew what he'd done. I know I'm supposed to be talking about John Mark, and I'll get to it. But everybody knew what he'd done. So he had to stand up, and he wiped his face. The second thing he did was he wiped away the tears. You cannot ever get past your failure weeping. You cannot get past your past when you're in constant mourning. Repentance has got to stop sometime because there's got to be a burial and then there's got to be a resurrection. You'll never, listen to me, you'll never receive the Holy Ghost in constant repentive mode. There's sometime you just got to wipe away the tears and forget about it. The third thing he did was the Bible says that he worshipped God. Now how in the world, how in the world did he do that? How did he worship God when there's a dead baby in his crib? You know what that tells me? That worship is always right, regardless what you're going through or regardless of what, what is in your face. Worship is always right. But I, but I can't raise my hands. I, didn't feel, I wasn't going to preach this morning, but I feel like it. But he, he said, I, 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 he could have said, I can't raise my hands. I have failed. There's a dead baby in the crib. But it showed me that he understood what true worship was about. And worship wasn't uh, dictated in his life by how he felt and by where he was at in his life. He knew it was always right. So he said, I'm going to worship regardless what's in that crib. The, the fourth thing that he did was the Bible says that he buried his son. Because you can't forget about past failures if you don't bury it. And we know the way to bury past failures is under the blood. So what he had to do, because if he had done all those other things, Pastor Robertson, if he had done all those other things and he did not bury that child or he did not get rid of it, I don't mean to sound insensitive, you know what would have happened? The smell and the stench of the death would have reminded him every single day of how he was a failure. He would have never, ever been able to get back to being the king of Israel. He would have never, ever been able to get back to what God called him to be. 
So he said, what I got to do, I'm not hiding it. Everybody knows I've done it. Everybody knows that I was a failure. I've admitted it. I've wept. But I got up and I washed my eyes and I worshiped God. And now it's time for me to get rid of it. What we need to do and learn is the art of putting our failures and our trials and the things that we go through under the blood of Jesus Christ. And once you do that, you're not responsible. You're not responsible. Mm. Hmm. Running out of time. Samson, he, he was the deliverer of Israel. By his supernatural strength and made fools of Israel's enemies on numerous occasions. Yet he allowed himself to be seduced by Delilah, resulting in the loss of his eyes and his vision. You know what the problem with Samson was? That he had a covenant with God. He wasn't supposed to take partake of uh, wine. We talked about that the other day, wasn't he? Wasn't supposed to take, he wasn't supposed to touch a dead body. And he, he wasn't supposed to drink of wine. But you know what the problem was? You know where he found Delilah? Was in a location of the country that mass-produced grapes. He shouldn't have been there in the first place. Was, was it really a sin for him to go in that area? It wasn't really a failure to be walking in those place, some, that place that he was in. That wasn't a bad thing. He was, there. he was just walking around. But the problem was, he was setting himself up for failure. Can I tell you, can I tell you, not everything that we may believe, be, believe is a death and hell situation or heaven and hell situation. Some of the, some of the standards we might... They may not be. You know what? You may not go to hell for going to a movie theater. But why in the world would you want to put yourself in that kind of position and set yourself up for failure in the future? And that's what, that's what Samson did. He knew what he wasn't supposed to be doing, but he surrounded himself with the things of this world. And eventually... Because he put himself in that location, it set him up for weakness. And he ended up getting his vision taken away. But the, the good thing is about these guys, and I, I like, we, we like to uh, discuss these guys and their power, and then they got their failures. But I like to, I like to uh, also look at the other side about, uh, of Samson. He, he was blind. At one time, he, his abilities were incredible. He killed a thousand men with his bare hands. He, he, uh, he took the gates of a city. Of a city. Not ten foot tall, but I'm t the history says there were approximately 25 foot tall gates. He jerks them out of the ground and the he runs up a hill. He caught 300 foxes. 
and tied their tails together and set them loose in the crops of the Philistines and burned them all. How, you know how, what, how fast you would have to be to catch 300 foxes? The approximate fox runs 20, uh, 42 mile an hour. You know, who's, what's his name? Same Bolt, whatever his name is, the fastest man in the world, runs 27 mile an hour. A fox runs 42 mile an hour. And Samson caught 300 of them. And they didn't have steroids back then. And if they did have steroids, they didn't have a way to check him for it. So they couldn't prove it. So he, but he, his abilities were incredible. And he, he finds himself in this place of failure. You ever been there where you just, you just can't see to get ahead? You just... And that you know for a fact that once you had a testimony and, and, and the devil leaves you without your vision. And, and he, he leaves you there moping and thinking about what you, what you once were. Think about that time that Samson had. He's blind. He can't see nothing. So he has to rely on just his mind. And he finds himself grinding at a mill like, a, like an ox. He's thinking, man, I wish... If I just wouldn't have come to this valley, if I just would have listened to my father, if I just listened to my mama, if I'd have just... But the Bible says that one day they were making fun of his God and making a mockery out of him. But something happened to Samson. He said, God, he said, I, I just, I know I failed. But he said, if, I, if one more time that I can feel your presence... I can picture Samson's hair growing back some. And he probably was hiding it from the enemy. He probably stuck it down the back end of his shirt. But I believe he began to look past those failures and he began to pull in some of those testimonies that he once had. And I remember walking onto a battlefield. I remember slaying a thousand men. And I, I remember grabbing the gates. And I remember that. I remember ripping that lion apart with my hands. The Bible says that in one day, when he was broken, when he was, was it when he was a failure, that he destroyed more enemy when he was broken. You know what that tells me? You don't have to have it all together to be effective in the kingdom of God. You don't have to have it all together. Grace for failure and restoration. There is grace. Bible says in 1 John 2 and 1 through 2 says, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And John 1 or 1 John 1, 8 through 9 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to somehow grow in maturity in, 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 in our lives to, to know and be assured that Jesus Christ will forgive you. There's got to be that acceptance. Because if you don't have that kind of faith and trust in God, you will never go any further in the kingdom of God. 
you'll always be you'll always be crying over it. You'll always see yourself as a failure. Always. God, God's grace makes restoration possible. Otherwise, we would all be utter failures forever lost in our sins. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, the Bible says in Second Peter 3 and 9, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, us all, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's patience, God's patience, to me, is one of His greatest attributes. My goodness, if it wasn't for God's grace and His patience on us, you would not be here. You know how many times that God had to have patience with Israel? It's like, the only way I can identify it is how many times I've told my boys to clean their room this week. I ain't going to tell you that in front of everybody. But then, then they cleaned it. And it looked like that they brought their whole school classmates in 20 minutes later. And it looked like that they just did it on purpose. Pull their drawers out, throw their clothes, 20 pairs of pants, this and that. For, okay, why aren't your room clean? Dad, we did, we did clean it. Am I the only parent that has to deal with their kids not picking up their underwear? A wet towel thrown in a corner that never dry? That you go, where, where's that smell coming from? Well, there's 30 towels in the corner that, that are still wet. Now, and I, I, my patients wear Thin as a father, it's frustrating. But, I mean, we find it humorous. But you think about it. How many times did God have patience on Israel? Give them miracles after miracles. Red Sea parts. Delivering out of Egypt, out of bondage. And walked across on dry ground. Shoes grew on their feet. Manna fell from heaven. Hot bread every day out of the oven from heaven. And I mean, this wasn't just... Any bread, this had to be good bread. They ate it every day. It had to be good. Hot, not stale, not cold, hot. Shoes grew on their feet. Quail. You ever eat quail? Oh, it's good. It probably was already plucked for them. Roasted. So, what they do? Well, we don't. We just rather, we just rather go back into Egypt, and we just, we just Moses, you know, you brought us out of here, you delivered us, and I know, and we've seen the miraculous, and but we would just rather go back into Egypt. Uh, we, 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 we just can't. We just can't. We don't want to be here. We'd rather go back and shovel horse dung and. We'd rather go back and make bricks and build pyramids and, and they were getting raped and they were getting pillaged and murdered and all that other junk. But they would rather have that than have the miraculous. And all of a sudden, they, they find God, 
Moses comes down off the mountain after all the deliverance, and he sees them. They build this golden image. And could you imagine the patience that it took for God just to just... He just could have wiped them off the face of the planet. And he did some of them. But you know, you know what it took for God to do, to kill some of them? He said, you pick a side. You choose what side of failure you're going to be on. And a lot of them stepped on and said, okay, we're always going to be failures, and that's the way we're going to live. So God said, okay, you're done. But even the ones that was complaining and constantly, they, God gave them time after time and had mercy on them. This was before the blood of Christ was shed. He still was a God of mercy. He's still a God of patience. When you and I walk out of here today and think bad thoughts or want to bust someone's head or want to run somebody off the road, I'm just being honest here this morning, and want to be just, just mad at the world and you want to beat up your boss and all that, God still loves you and He still has patience for you. Just like I love my son, I'm not going to cast my son out because he's got junk in the floor and he don't clean his room. I have patience for him because I love him. Failure because of circumstances. There's going to be failure that we, we go through. and God understands some things that we go through. And He, he, he wants us to know that we don't have to, to be... I'm trying to think of the word. He, we don't have to be prisoners of our own mindsets. That... He lures us to Him constantly. He, those things that we call mistakes, He said, oh, just make them stepping stones. Just keep walking towards us because I know that if you get into my presence, everything is going to be all right. The grace of God's forgiveness, this is the essence. This is the essence of, of the uh, human world. Creation, the fall of human race, redemption by the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And the ultimate restoration of all things. God created Adam and Eve and placed them in a perfect garden. In a perfect world. Although He foreknew they would fail the moral test. Their eating of the forbidden fruit did not surprise God. He understood. He wasn't surprised about the failures of men. Some people ask, why in the world did God make man in the first place? Why in the world did He... Some people say God made man because He wanted man to worship Him. I don't believe that. Sister Stephanie Howe, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal something of hers. You can tell her I stole it. You know what? She, she gave me a revelation that, that blew, it just blew my mind. I've made it my of sharing it here before. But she said, God did not make man for man to worship God. He made angels to worship God. But God being love, He's love. He's God's love. Everything about God is love. He said, but she said, what good is love if you can't give it away? So He made you so He could love you. I did not have children so they could worship me. I didn't have children so they could just do all the dirty work. But I had children because 
I wanted to give my love to a son or a daughter. That's why God loved us. See, we got the a problem with the, the, the understanding of why God made us and the understanding of the relationship with God. We think God is like some somebody up there ready to beat us over the head, uh, waiting for us to make a mistake. But God's not like that. He, he foreknew that they would fail, and the moral test, their eating of the forbidden fruit, did not surprise God. He understood that giving them a will to choose right or wrong and allowing Satan to tempt them with evil would subject them to failure. That's why God gave us a will. He didn't force us to love Him. He could have made us robots or computers. He could have done it. But, but what good is force love? Could you imagine being married to somebody because you had a gun to their head to love them? Do they love you back? Could you imagine that? I'll force you to love me. Force you to be my friend, Brother Davis. That's the mafia style. Of love. People love those guys, you know, because they're forced to fear them or love them. That's not the God that I serve. He gave us a choice. And, and it's, a great, it's a great thing for God to know that we love Him by choice. Excuse me, I've got to find my thought. You see, their fall set in motion a fallen race of people. We were born into the world with an innate uh, way to sin. For, Jesus said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3 and 23. Just as God expelled Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden, then that when they sinned, our own sin separates us from God. That's the very thing that separates us from God, is sin. This magnifies the value of God's grace. He forgives our sin when we repent. Paul said, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. It doesn't matter how much sin and junk that you're living in around. or have to. It doesn't matter how much junk that you go through at work. God is obligated to us through His Word. He said, where sin abounds, grace doth Dutch doth much more abound. The more, in other words, the more sin there is, the more sin there is prevalent, the more grace there is prevalent. So it doesn't matter how bad things get in your life. God's grace grows greater than your problem. Are you following me? I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to get through this real, real quick. Admitting our failures is the first step towards correcting them. We always must realize our utterance dependence upon God's mercy. God's mercy can only work in our lives when we ask Him to have mercy on us. God cannot forgive us unless we come to Him and ask for forgiveness. The Bible says if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Everybody say all. All unrighteousness. See, that word all to me is the most powerful word in that whole scripture. Because we as humans, we rate sin. Do we not? We rate it. Well, I know I lied, but at least I didn't murder. 
These people should not inherit King God. Liars, fornicators, murderers. He lumped them all in one. Gossips, backbiters. But we, we somehow we, we can do our own sins and look at other people that appear to be worse than us and go, oh, I don't know how God's going to take care of them. And I believe that's what Paul did to, uh, and, um, when, when he did what he did to John Mark. Paul and Barnabas accepted John Mark as a fellow worker in their first missionary journey from Antioch. Mark, he was a young cousin of Barnabas. After sailing to Cyprus and, and then to Perga, uh, which is in Asia Minor, for some unknown reason, Mark, he decides that he wants to desert Paul. I don't know why, which to me... It, it probably wasn't the ethical thing to do. But it wasn't like he murdered anybody. It wasn't like he hurt anybody. He, he just, he said, I, I don't know why he left, but the, uh, he deserted the group and he returned home. Some have speculated that he became homesick or could not abide uh, the rigors of travel. For whatever reason, Paul, he was angry. And he, he never forgot the day. That Barnabas chose Mark. He held it against him. And he, it made him angry. And the, the deserter, or he called him a deserter to accompany them. Uh, as the two preachers prepared for their second missionary tour, Barnabas again invited Mark to go along. But Paul's aggressive objections, objections uh, created a disturbing conflict between them. He didn't want him to go. He said he left us. The first time, I'm not taking him the second time. I don't want nothing to do with him. The contention becomes so intense that Paul and Barnabas parted ways. Paul and Silas went by land, by, by land into Asia Minor, and Barnabas and Mark sailed to Cyprus. Uh, but he, could you imagine? Here's Paul. This is the same one that not long before... John Mark deserted him. This is the same guy that stood by and held the coats. He said, let me, let me do you a favor. Go ahead and let me hold your coat. You pick that rock up and you knock Stephen's brains out. Oh, he, he was self-righteous though. He didn't do it. But he held the coat. He's like, well, I... I mean, let me, I'm, I'm not going to do the dirty work, but I'll hold your coat. This is the same one. And all of a sudden, Paul becomes self-righteous in his spirit. He's, he's like, well, he left us the first time, and I know he wants to come back, but I, I, just, I just can't see it happening. You better watch pointing your fingers. I've seen it time after time. I've seen people, man. They were stone-cold alcoholics, drug, uh, with drug addictions. They had all kinds of problems, medication, uh, just addicted to all kinds of stuff. And they come in the church, and a few years they get under their belt, and all of a sudden they get all self-righteous and judge somebody because they do something simple as... Yeah, and they forget where God really brought them from. They, Paul, all of a sudden, he forgets. He forgets that God took his sight on the road to Damascus. And he, when Jesus said, why persecute me? He said, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. 
And all of a sudden, he forgets where he come from, and he starts persecuting in a way, in, in a form. John Mark, because John Mark left. I don't know why he left, whatever reason. Mark's return home could not be considered a personal, uh, could be considered a personal failure. One thing we know, Paul's displeasure lowered his opinion of the young man. He deemed Mark unworthy to serve as a missionary companion. Paul's rejection could have devastated Mark. It could have devastated him. But Bartimaeus, uh, his continued acceptance and friendship with him, began to heal the wounds and encourage him uh, in his ministry. Not that, I'll tell you right now, the best thing that you can do when you sense failure in somebody's life is to speak positive into their life. It is not going to help them. To tear them down the rest of the way. You know, whether they make it right in the future is is, is irrelevant to the situation. Don't persecute them by finishing the job. Amen. Could have devastated him, but Barnabas he 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 made the, he intent he was intentive to 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 build him back up. Not only did Mark travel with Barnabas as a fellow worker, he continued to be a blessing to the early church. Some ten years some ten years later, Paul reconciled with Mark, saying he was profitable profitable to me and for my ministry. And then because of I believe that because of uh, the Paul accepted Mark back. Mark went on to write the second gospel. There was a hint in the scripture that he became the co- a companion with Peter and even worked as his interpreter. And I believe that because Paul uh, made the hand of extension to, to bring him back is why Mark went on to do those things. You don't ever know what your hand of extent or extension of, of, of gratitude to somebody that has failed, what they will do in the future for the kingdom of God. They may reach people that you'll never reach. You know, can I, can I make this statement? I'm not, quali- I'm not trying to qualify anything what I said or go back on anything. There's people that's going to hurt you. And there's people that's going to fail you. And forgiveness, forgiveness, your extension of forgiveness will dictate where you, whether you make it to heaven. You have to forgive them. You're bound by the book to forgive them. Jesus said if you don't forgive people their sins, your heavenly Father cannot forgive you. But that doesn't mean that you have to go Buddy, buddy, if somebody, God forbid, somebody killed one of my family members, I would have to forgive them. I would forgive them. I would have to in order to make it to heaven. But I don't have to go play golf with them. See, we confuse, see, we, we confuse that with forgiving. But, and you've got to be careful what kind of attitude you have towards the person. I ain't playing, playing golf with them. I ain't going to eat whatever. You have to forgive them, but it doesn't mean you have to go, hey, man, let's go have a slumber party. It's just the first thing that came to my mind. That's a dangerous thing. I don't have to.
have to take them on vacation and spend three weeks with them. But if you, I, I think it was Jack Cunningham, he said, I heard, he, he said, made the statement, he said, I've heard people say, well, if we can't get along down here, how are we going to get along over, over up there? He said, I got news for you. If you can't get along here, you're not going to go up there. So the problem with a lot of people is that because they have not felt forgiveness in their own life or accepted forgiveness in their own life, they feel a right to hold something over somebody else's head. So what I'm trying to tell you this morning, if God has ever given you the gratitude of forgiveness, you better extend that very same gratitude to your brother or your sister. Because, because our welfare and our salvation and the blessings that God wants to give us is predicated how you extend forgiveness and treat people with failure in their life. Amen? I'm done, but I'm not done. I, uh, I, I just want to, be, I want to be right in my spirit. I, I really... Strive to be right with God. I believe that's the most important thing. And I know that sounds very elementary. But I believe a lot of God's blessings are right there on the verge of falling from heaven. And He's waiting on us to make right decisions. And I believe God wants to give our church blessings, of, of financial blessings. I believe He wants to give us souls and pack this place out. But I believe things can keep things like that from happening. Decisions we make or decisions that we don't make. So I want to be right with God. And if I'm right with God, I'm going to be right with you. Amen? Let's all stand. God is, 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 is going to move tonight in the service in a great, great way. I believe that God is going to heal somebody in their body tonight. I'm not just saying that to build your faith. I'm telling you that because I feel that in the Holy Ghost, that God is going to give somebody a miracle in their body tonight. I don't know what he's preaching, but I believe somebody's going to get a healing in their body. And then at the same time, God's going to give you healing in your mind. Amen? And, and the way... God is going to send that is through expectancy. Yes, sir. So I want you to go home today with a great expectation that God is going to bring great miracles tonight. And I want you to speak that for the rest of the day to yourself when you're combing your hair. Well, I don't even use a comb. I just use this. More of it fall out. You just tell yourself that you're going to get a great miracle tonight. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your power and your anointing. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for the blood that you've shed on Calvary. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for, for giving us your patience, God. We thank you for having patience on your people. 
God, we pray right now for the lost. God, we pray for the backsliders. God, we pray for a last day apostolic revival. God, we praise you and we give you thanks for the blood that you've shed on Calvary and your resurrection power. In the name of Jesus Christ.